The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Theodos rose up claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this, is the pl- for if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God." So they took his advice, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for just the boldness of the apostles, the boldness of the early church. Um, I thank you, Lord, that your will prevailed um, in spreading the gospel, in spreading the news that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is your one and only son who died for us um, so that we might be righteous in your sight, that we might have new life. Um, God, I just thank you for the way that you ordained your message to spread in those early days. And I thank you that the scriptures are true, that if it's planned by men, it will fail. But if it's your plan, God, nothing can overthrow that. I pray that we would learn from this text today, that you would speak through Randall, um, that our hearts would be moved to trust you more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Good morning, church. It's a little warmer than last week. That's nice. Glad you're all here this morning. Um, We're going to continue in the book of Acts. And I just want to say I I enjoy seeing your faces each week. Um, Even though I don't get a chance to to stop and and talk with each one of you, I just am so thankful for you. I'm thankful for this church. I am blessed to be a part of of Grace City and this church family. Um, 
You know, one of the things that we're doing are um, some of these uh, classes, these equipping classes. And um, so last week we did one on uh, the rhythms for life and talking about how to uh, follow Jesus in our everyday lives. And so we had um, Alistair Stern um, share about his book. And again, if you haven't picked up your book yet and you are part of that, you can grab it at the Welcome Tent. Uh, We'd love for you to dive into that and really learn more about what it looks like to follow Jesus in everyday life. And then also, um, you know, my friend uh, Bob Klein and his wife Karen are going to be doing uh, one on dating and then one on marriage for this month. And so I would encourage you to jump into that. Uh, Bob is uh, my gospel coach. And so, you know, I think everybody needs a coach in some way or another to get better in life. And he's one of those guys that just coaches me and challenges me and pulls the best out of what God is doing in my life. And so I'm thankful for Bob. I'm thankful for his wife. And so uh, I just asked him, could you just teach some of these things to help uh, bless our congregation? And he graciously agreed to that. So uh, that's coming up next week for those that are thinking about dating. And then also the week after that that for two weeks after that for uh, marriage. So today we're going to be looking at the book of Acts and we're looking at this passage in Acts 5, 27 through 42. And this this message is entitled, A Movement from God. A Movement from God. As we look at the early church and what God was doing with the early church, there was a movement that was happening that wasn't from what they could do, but what God could do. And so we're looking today at this movement from God. Writer and theologian Oz Guinness wrote this book called Renaissance. And he talked about how in the West we needed a renaissance of true disciples of Jesus, true faith, like through true faith that, that, that is expressed in our, in our trust and our love for Jesus. And there's, a, there's, a, there's a, an obedience to Christ that we need. Now, this was before the pandemic hit or any of these things, but he wrote this book, and I believe that it was, it was telling of, of our time and, and what is really, truly needed. And here's what he says. He says, tackling the biggest global challenges will require an unshakable trust in God that can face any future without fear. A profound intellectual seriousness that is willing to wrestle with problems that are unprecedented in human experience. A constant reliance on God's spirit for fresh and creative imagination to conceive of what has never yet been and an untiring perseverance that will be worthy of the heroism of the great reformers of the past. What's happening here in this passage in Acts? There is a renaissance, there's a reformation that God is doing. There's a renewal of what is happening within the religious structures, and it's all because of Jesus. And in many ways, we need that same thing today. See, that's, that's what Oz Guinness was calling for, and what we see is needed right now. Today's text, we see this courage within the disciples that if we study their their life, when we first meet them and we see them following Jesus, we don't see this. See, it wasn't natural to them that there were just going to be these courageous leaders to stand up and to do the right thing. No. 
This was something that God was doing in them. Not natural to them. And through that, he was laying a groundwork for the gospel message to spread. A movement. And they were willing to endure great suffering for the message of Jesus. Great suffering. You see, what's happening in this text? Well, what we find out is that they were imprisoned because they were preaching the gospel. They were sharing about Jesus. Openly sharing about Jesus. And so they get thrown into the prison. And then an angel of the Lord releases them. They're out and they're preaching again. And so the leaders who are in charge say, we told you not to do that. What are you doing? And today we get their response. See, they're already enduring great suffering for their faith, for believing in Jesus. Early church father Tertullian says this. He says, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Do you want to know how the church expanded and grew and became what it is today? That today we are hearing about Jesus? It's through the sacrifices and even the blood that was spilt by those who've gone before us. Faithful believers in Christ that love the Lord. And so our text is from Acts 5, 27 through 42. And, and what does a movement of God look like? Well, in today's text, we see three traits of what God does in the heart of a believer that eventually leads to this movement. Number one, it's obeying a higher conviction. Number two, it's trusting a greater leader. Number three, it's joining in God's mission. Obeying a higher conviction, trusting a greater leader, and joining in God's mission. And so the first one is this, obeying a higher conviction. Look at verses 27 through 29. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet, here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. We must obey God rather than men. Now, we have to really see this within the context of what's happening here. Because what can happen as believers we, is we can start to pretend or bring upon us like persecutions that aren't real persecutions. But this is real persecution that's happening here in this text. Why was this persecution brought upon them? Because they were sharing about Jesus. They were spreading the name of Jesus. And because of that, they said, we must obey God rather than men. They were given this task by God to go do this. See, this was living out of a deep conviction in the face of potential suffering and opposition. One writer when he thought about leaders, he said this. He says, today our leaders are stars, not heroes. Stars are surrounded by crowds. Heroes walk alone. Stars consult focus groups before they speak. Heroes consult their conscience. Now he's talking about leadership within the world's point of view. And I think there's a lot that we can take from that. 
But what is the conscience of a believer? What, what is the conviction that the apostles are living out of? Is it what's popular? Is it the standards that are set around them? As this is what is good and this is what's not good? This is what's ethical and this is what's not ethical? No, it's God who's setting those standards. It's God saying this is what's right and this is what's wrong. It's what he says. Right? It's living under the authority of God, knowing that God is the one who decides as the true judge. I think of Joseph in the Old Testament. You know, Joseph was taken into ca- captivity, and as he was taken into captivity, he was sold as a slave, lived in Potiphar's house, and Potiphar's wife started to make advances towards him. And there's sexual temptation that's there, but instead of falling into that, he he flees. And what does he say? He says, why would I do such a thing in the sight of God? He was living with a, a, a conviction that wasn't the convictions of the standards of the world set around him, because maybe that world said that was okay. But he says, no, I, I live under the conviction and the authority of God in my life. And so the disciples, they, they say, again in verse 29, we must obey God rather than men. See, and these weren't just any men, but these were men that could take their lives. And so what we saw next is that this infuriates them. This is going to infuriate them. And so we're going to look at this here. The second point is trusting a greater leader. Look at verses 30 through 32. A God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to, at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Now, there's a lot here that we're going to unpack, but in verse 30, the disciples, they did not soften the truth. They did not soften the truth. Right? They, they, remember what they said? The, the, the leaders, the religious leaders says, you're trying to put the blood of Jesus on us like we did something wrong. No, we did the right thing. We killed a man who deserved to die. That's basically what they were saying. And so now the apostles are saying, no, you did something that was wrong. That was evil. It needs to be brought to light. You killed him by hanging him on a tree. You killed him by hanging him on the cross. But here's the thing. God exalted him to at his right hand as leader and savior. So the truth needed to be brought to bear on the conscience of the leaders at fault. The truth needed to bear on the leaders. Friends, here's the thing. No one is above accountability. No one. And if as believers, we do not submit ourselves to some level of accountability, we are inviting in sinful attitudes and behaviors to wreak havoc. Friends, I've been grieving this week because I I was 
reading some of the things that happened with Ravi Zacharias. Christian apologist. We lifted him up. I've been helped by many of his works and things that he said. Yet at the same time, he was exploiting, manipulating, and using his power for his own selfish gain and it is sinful. Friends, there has to be a reckoning in Christianity when we're talking about leaders and people that we lift up because no one deserves to be on a pedestal except for Jesus. Friends, it's Jesus. When it comes to Christian celebrities and all that stuff, friends, like there's only one who deserves that role in that position. It's Jesus Christ. There are things that are happening in our world that need to be called out. They do. And when, it, when, when the apostles are talking here with courage and conviction, they were speaking boldly about Jesus. See, look, look at verse 31. It says, God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior. You, you want to know this word for, for leader? It's the word archagon. And so if you look in the, the Greek language, archagon is in there. And this word for, 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 um, that, that's used here is, is that Jesus is the champion. Jesus is the leader. He's the leader of leaders. He's the one who, who if you were to think about it, goes in to the darkest of places And overcomes the enemy. See, you and I need a greater leader. You need a greater leader than, than any man, any woman, anyone that can lift themselves up. You need a greater leader, and that leader is Jesus. He's the perfect one. See, many times we just want the Savior part, right? I just want Jesus to save me from my sin. I'm good. You know, one of the scariest things that I saw in the, in, in the quotes of, of what was said about Ravi Zacharias, he said, he publicly said, God knows who I am and God's going to, basically he was like, God, God knows the things I do in private and God's going to judge me on those things. Friends, it is a scary thing to, to, to come before the living God. This is not a light thing like, yeah, I'm going to go before God. And I'm not saying that's what he was saying in that moment. I don't know. But I do know that it's not a light thing to come before a holy God and say, I'm going to stand before you and be judged by you. It's not. Friends, all of us will be accountable. And I need a champion. I need, I need the champion of champions to come in and to stand in my place. See, it's Jesus. Hebrews 12, 1 through 2 says this. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded so, by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You know what it says? The, the founder 
The founder of the faith is the Archegon. He's the one. He's the one that's gone before. He's the champion. He's the leader. And so my encouragement to you today is this. Trust a greater leader. If there's going to be a movement of God, it's not us putting our faith in any human being. It's us putting our faith in God, trusting as God's people that he can do it. He can do it. Lastly, it's joining in God's mission. Look, verses 39 through 30, or 33 through 39. When, when they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, uh, a teacher of the law held in high honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. He said to them, men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Thaddeus uh, rose up claiming to be somebody and a number of men, about 400 joined him. He was killed and all who followed him were dispersed and came uh, to nothing. After Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him, he too perished and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and, and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. Now, Let's break this down for a minute. So what we've got here is there were uprisings of, of leaders that came up and tried to pull people away to themselves. An uprising against the, 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 uh, the systems of the time, right? The government trying to pull them over. And so this happened during this time. And um, Gamaliel was like, hey, it didn't work. Remember history didn't work. So let's just kind of put the litmus test on, on this Jesus movement, see if this is actually going to work. And so there is some wisdom in what Gamaliel is saying, but I want to give a disclaimer. Just because something looks successful in our eyes doesn't mean it's from God, <laughs> okay? So just because it looks successful on the outside doesn't just mean it's, it's from God. There's a lot of things that look successful and you're like, oh, okay, God must be blessing. That doesn't mean that, that that's necessarily it. I mean, you've got Isaiah, Jeremiah, who preached the gospel, or preached about God, and then people didn't even listen. And so they only had like, you know, like zero followers. So it's, it's like, you know, that's, that doesn't mean that it's going to work out for you, okay? But um, there, there is some wisdom in what he's saying. The problem is this. This is the major problem with what he's saying here. Is that for him, it's all theoretical. It's all theoretical. It's, it's all like kind of like planned out, you know? He puts these disciples outside, says, hey guys, let's gather up real quick. Let's talk this over. Let's kind of figure this out. Um, this is, this is kind of the, the, the smartest thing for us to do. Because they're trying to pin that Jesus thing on us, and we're not going to look good in front of the people if that happens. And so let's just kind of let it play out because they were ready to kill him. What, what happens if they kill the disciples? Then it's just like, oh, man, the people uprising, people are upset. Let's just kind of keep the peace. So he's actually doing the thing that's like, for him, probably the best thing. And for them, probably the best thing because it's going to make them look best in the people's eyes. You know, people aren't going to have an uprising. Uh, they're not going to get upset. The disciples, like, let's just let them do their thing. 
we'll, we'll, we'll punish them for it, but we're going to let them do their thing. And, um, you know, let's just see what happens. This is the scary part. He might have had some good thoughts on the topic, but the major problem is, is that he's not willing to act and actually see if this is a movement of God. Is this truly a movement of God? Is this actually what it is? Or are you just trying to manipulate the system so that you still look good in the people's eyes? So you still look like a person who has wisdom. Because if this is of God, that you need to really think about this. See, Gamaliel had all the evidences of grace to see that this was a movement of God. Pentecost. Let's just look back at this real quick. Let's just see that God's like moving and people are being healed and all this stuff's happening. Like, like, do you see any of the evidences of God's grace on this? Because for him, it, it was, he was looking at it, but it was just like, and with all this theological training, all of the, within the Hebrew scriptures, all of those things, he didn't think to himself, maybe this is what God's doing. Maybe God's at work here. Maybe I should join this movement too. He didn't actively join God in the work that God was doing in the world. He still sat on the sidelines and was critiquing it and judging it, but not willing to join it. And friends, I think today, like that's just, that, that's something that can happen in our lives as well. Right? We live in a culture that loves to critique and loves to, to just sit on the sidelines and say, this is my thoughts on this opinion or this thought or that thought. And we, we like to have our opinions on things. Gamaliel loved to have his opinions on things. But sitting back and actually joining in, that's something different. Proverbs 20.12 says this, Ears that hear and eyes that see, the Lord has made them both. We say that again. Ears that hear and eyes that see, the Lord has made them both. How do we see? How do we, how do we hear? It's when the Lord does a work and opens our eyes and opens our ears to what he's doing. Lord Jesus, may we be a people that hear your voice. May we be a people that see what you're doing in the world so that we cannot stand on the sidelines, critique, have all these ideas about it, but actually join in as your people. Etienne Gilson said this. He says, It's only God to protect man against man. Either we will serve him in spirit and truth, or we will enslave ourselves ceaselessly more and more to the monstrous idol that we have made with our own hands to our own image and likeness. Do you hear that? That there is still remains only God to protect man against man. We are in a perpetual cycle of harming ourselves until God opens our eyes and our hearts to see the truth. Will we surrender? Will we submit to what God is doing? So quickly, some takeaways as we wrap up here. The first one is this. Are your convictions shaped by God? The convictions that you have, the deep convictions that are there, are they shaped by God? This morning I was reading in um, Psalm 25. I think it's verse 12. Might be wrong. It's in there. Psalm 25. Look it up. But one of the things that it says is that um, 
the, those who fear the Lord, the, the Lord confides in them. That the Lord confides in them. Like I just get this picture of like of like God just just pouring out this truth and and, and and just confiding his heart in those who love him. Right? Don't you want that? Don't you desire that? And then what happens is God starts to pour in this truth, is our convictions start to be shaped by him, and I start to see things in the world, and I'm like, I don't know about that. I don't want to be like that. Please, Lord, help me. I, I, I want to live in a way that, that honors you. Second, have you surrendered to God's authority? Again, we love the idea of having a Savior, but what about a Lord? What about a champion? What about a leader in our lives? God, will you be that leader in our lives to help us and guide us? Because what this is, is it takes is Surrender. Surrender. No longer am I in charge of my life any longer, but God is. Lord, I surrender my life to you. I want to live under your authority. Lastly, will you join in what God is doing? Will you join in what God's doing? Friends, he's at work all over the place. And we need eyes to see and ears to hear. We need to ask God, God, help me to join in what you're doing. I want to be a part of your work in the world. Tom Holland, as he was talking about the early church, he says this. He says, the refusal of early Christians to identify themselves as belonging to one of the familiar peoples of the earth, the Romans or the Greeks or the Jews, branded them as rootless, just as bandits and runaways were. And yet, for all that, Christians did believe they belonged to a common ethnos, a people, the bonds of their identity spanned the world and reached back across the generations. Friends, we are rooted in an identity that's been given to us by Jesus. That once we were on our own, but now we're his people and we're rooted. And that's why there's so much diversity even in this group today. It is not because we are similar, but it's because of Jesus that brings us all together. And he's asking us to join him in his work in the world. So what will start a movement of God? Not just out in the world, but let's ask in your heart, in my heart. What's going to start a movement of God in my heart? Hebrews 12, 4, when it talks about the, before it talked about the ark of God, Jesus is the founder and perfecter of our faith. Here's, here's what it says in verse 12, 4, after that it says, In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. You haven't struggled so badly that you've struggled to the point of shedding your blood. We see these disciples, many of them would shed their blood for being believers, for sharing the name of Jesus. They would. Why? It's because they put their faith in the one who shed his blood first. Jesus. Jesus, just like it says in Hebrews 12, 4, it says, or 12, it says, fix your eyes on Jesus. He's the perfecter of your faith. He's the founder of your faith. He'll guide you in what it looks like to obey a higher conviction. That's higher than any standard that you could make up for yourself. It's a holy standard. It's a good standard. 
and it's for your protection and it's out of your love for you and me. Call you to trust in a greater leader and he'll call you to join an unstoppable God that's moving into the darkest places but bringing light. See, here's the thing. Ultimately, Jesus has already done it. My invitation to you today is this. Will you, not like Gamaliel who, who saw the works of God and just had ideas about it and theories about it, but you personally say, I want that. Jesus, I want that. Help me, Lord. Come into my heart. Come into my life. I want that. It can start today if it have, hasn't already. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for what you've done, Lord. Oh, Lord, um, the only way that we can run this race and make it to the end is by your Spirit's power, by your strength alone. And I pray, God, that we will see the risen Jesus and know that he's worth living for, worth sharing. And I pray that you start a movement within our midst, Lord. The fact that you could change the world through a small group of people. That's what you do. Lord, make us a holy people. One that have focus on you and teach us what it means to live for you. Every day in our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.